Challenge lovers, welcome to The Challenge Historian, where we dive deep into all things MTV's The Challenge, past, present, or future. If it's happening in the Challenge universe, then we are here to document it. I am your host and dedicated Challenge Historian, Jacob Hollibaugh. Thank you so very much for being here with us today. On today's podcast, we continue the 2022 Challenge series rewatch by covering Season 4 Extreme Challenge, our longest season to date, meaning there is a whole bunch to get to and to cover. One quick housekeeping note before we dive right on in, and that is... If you're listening to this, it's probably Monday or sometime after that because these episodes are now going to start coming out every Monday morning, first thing Monday morning. few behind-the-scenes reasons for that. We don't need to go through all of them, but it's just going to work a little bit better with my personal schedule as well as hopefully you, the listener, eventually when we get past the first nine seasons, which they've covered over and over, are unfortunately not yet available publicly once we get to the 10th season and beyond and you're able to rewatch and binge these right along with me I think it'll also help to give you that weekend to do so right before then an episode drops on a Monday and eventually when other challenge shows come back on and air live and we're doing recap episodes of that which will be midweek or later in the week it'll just all fit a lot better with everyone's schedule so from now on one a week these will drop first thing Monday morning so you're listening to season four today That means next week we'll hit season five, six, seven, and on we go throughout pretty much the rest of the year to get through all 37 plus seasons of this wonderful, wonderful show. So that is your one housekeeping note. And as always, please hit that follow subscribe button so you don't miss any of those episodes or other types of content that might be coming. And if you are enjoying these rewatches, these recaps of old OG seasons as we work through them and you want more and more detail, remember over at our Instagram page at Challenge Historian, you can find all episodes, every single episode recapped on our Instagram story, as well as on my personal Twitter account at Jacob Hollaball. Use the show notes to spell the name. So if you want further detail than these season recap pods, you know where to get it over on the social channels. But with that, that's all we've got before diving on into season four extreme challenge. So Let's kick things off by diving into where the challenge as a franchise was way back in 2001, heading into this fourth season. State of the challenge way back January 2001. We were heading into the debut of our fourth season. At this point, kind of maybe dropped the moniker. The moniker, the real world road rules challenge. Extreme challenge was still there. Uh, The name was definitely in some flux most of the time. This is just referred to as Extreme Challenge, but it still was in all promo in the the setup actual format of the show, Real World vs. Road Rules, and in the the opening opening little bit. I don't know the word I'm looking for here, but the opening credits, there we go, Real World Road Rules, Extreme Challenge. So we're heading into our fourth season, and our third straight, that is that Real World vs. Road Rules six-on-six based format. Uh, At the time, outside of the challenge itself, the feeder systems of the challenge, real world, they were on their 10th season. Uh, 10th season came out this the same year as this fourth season of the challenge. The 10th season of real world came out and it was absolutely at the peak of its powers. It was a juggernaut and was going to continue to be for another basically decade plus. Um, 
going simultaneous to the challenge was real world just being an absolute behemoth so we were just getting into the show had blown up through the 90s it was a huge deal it's hitting its 10th season and it was not slowing down in any way the other feeder system road rules however was very much fizzling out they were airing around their 10th season as well but they ended up only being i 14 total seasons of road rules so it was very much at nearing its end um the ratings were certainly fizzling but the highest rated episode every single season of road rules at that point was still the one where they would do a face-off which was actually the i should have covered this on the very first season of the challenge and the very first season recap but i'll put it here now uh the original kind of basis or spur for this show the challenge to ever even come about was on road rules islands when they brought in real world boston who happened to be in the area at the time to do a face-off challenge versus each other and that did so so well and everyone loved it that that kind of was the basis for then road rules all-stars and eventually the challenge in general but they kept doing these face-offs every season of road rules after that where they would either bring in the last road rules cast to face the current one and just a little challenge or a mission or they would bring in if a real world season was filming at the same time they would try to find a way to have them cross paths so those episodes are still doing great so the momentum for the challenge even in its fourth season, was very much there because the thing that it was kind of the spur of it was really, really doing well, even if Road Rules itself as a show was kind of starting to fizzle out and head on its way out. Now, other things with the state of the challenge at the time, they were not filming back-to-back. The previous seasons, two and three, were filmed literally back-to-back and then aired back-to-back. And so we talked about on those podcasts, they clearly knew that this wasn't going to be a one-off thing, that they had something. In this case, they didn't film them back-to-back. They debuted one year after season three season three was january 2000 season four extreme challenge here was then january 2001 and very much seemed without having you know having talked to any of the producers or anything very much seemed like they were never planning on stopping or anything like that it was instead instead of filming these back to back we need to give more time and more attention to each one and try and this is a franchise now we've got to kind of get set our system up set our repeatable process And we know this thing is just going to go on and on and on and on and that we've got absolute gold on our hands. That's what I imagine they were thinking and what I would think led to the one year gap and doing, um, you know, I didn't look ahead the next few seasons. They do kind of do one a year uh, for a while here then early on. So this was the first time that it was. We didn't film those back to back. We're doing one a year. Other states of the challenge, uh, state of the production of the challenge is that they kind of were getting to the point where this thing was getting big enough that they didn't really know how to handle it and they didn't know how how to pos- expand it while running it safely, as we'll discuss later on in this podcast. And kind of like the, the thing was getting a little bit out of the hands of the production. There needed to be a little bit more uh, resources offered. I mean, there was being clearly more resources being offered up as they did more episodes, bigger challenges. They traveled even more, but production was clearly trying to figure out, all right, we've got something great on our hands. We want to make it bigger and bigger and bigger and better, but how do we do that without completely fucking it up and completely, you know, dicking over the actual cast on the show? And again, we'll talk a little bit more later about um, some of the gripes the cast had with this show. And then the final thing is that, Ratings were still really, really good for the show at the time um, and were growing and growing. And these people, all the cast members, were very much still in that realm, as we've seen on the seasons before this, this one, and we continue to see 
for a f- at least a few years, these people were still absolute stars. Like they were television stars, still way, way, way before social media and all of that stuff, and really before a ton of internet action was really going. But these people were legit television stars, and everywhere they went, they knew knew who they were and what they were up to, and we're very excited to see them. So that's a little bit of the state of the challenge. Let's then run through some of the basic stats for this season and where this season then from a very, very high level evolved and some challenge first that we got on the season four extreme challenge. It again, we said before aired from January to May, 2001. It was in a lot of locations. We had Portland, Maine, Montreal, Boston, London. They went across the pond to London, hit up Hamburg, hit up Prague, came back over to NYC for a couple days, and then all the way out to Los Angeles to end. They were on planes as often as they were on buses, but the the majority of their time was spent traveling on the bus or sleeping on the bus or in a hotel room provided along with the bus. As for the cast of this show, let me pull up the proper list here. So, This is the first time the last two seasons had been 12 people. This one was 13 because we had one Ayana get removed from the show halfway through in a replacement. So the teams were Real World had Dan Renzi from Real World Miami, Jamie Murray from Real World New Orleans, Julie from Real World New Orleans, Camila from Real World Boston, Rebecca from Real World Seattle, and Cyrus from Real World Boston as well. So two New Orleans, two Boston. So a couple pairs of people that knew each other coming in on the Real World squad. Over on Road Rules, Ayana from Semester at Sea, Christian from Second Adventure, Emily from Second Adventure, James and Letarian from Maximum Velocity Tour coming off literally like the next month after they filmed that. Now they were filming this. Michelle from Road Rules Europe. And then as a replacement halfway through, Susie from Road Rules Down Under. And prize money up for the season, $156,000 plus six Toyota Celicas. So the biggest prize money uh, we had had by uh, 50% or so. The previous season was around $100,000 in some cars. And then the biggest, longest season ever, 17 episodes plus a reunion. So 18 in total. Previously, 11, 6, and 5 were the episode counts for the seasons before. So they definitely knew they had something on their hands. They blew it out. They made it bigger and bigger and had it, you know, basically running for 18 weeks. That is a big chunk of the calendar that this show is taking up. As for some evolutions that this season saw, some challenge first and no particular order or uh, order of impact or when they happened during the season, but we had a bunch of stuff. The the show was definitely evolving. There was a lot, a lot of things going on where you could see where something happened that was then, you know, we were going to have more of that in the future or have that little idea, little seed that was planted, expanded on into a full on staple of the show in the future. So running through a bunch of them here. First one, kind of the biggest bummer and one of the biggest storylines we're going to talk about here in a moment. First time someone got kicked off or sent home, which was Ayana, which was a very controversial uh, uh, setting and situation, which we are going to talk about when we get to the storylines here momentarily. That will be the first one we discuss. But that was the first time that had happened, that production had to decide to do that. Um, we had the buses themselves they were staying on were by far the nicest we ever got. This was the final season uh, that the buses were a thing and that the traveling extensively was a thing. And the buses were incredibly nice, especially the double-deckers they had over in London. 
Um, and they always also had a hotel room wherever they were staying. They had their buses. They were sleeping on the bus for the most part, but they always had one hotel room that they were all sharing where they could go shower and things like that, which I do not believe was part of the previous seasons or was part really of any road rule seasons. We said they had more episodes, more money. So that was definitely evolution of the show of them realizing, Hey, people love this. Let's make it a little longer. Let's give them more money. Let's have sponsorships like the monster.com sponsoring all of the checks at every single one of the daily challenges. Speaking of daily challenges, we got our first ever, not our first ever eating challenge, but our first ever eating gross animal parts challenge, which obviously nowadays is just, is a staple of the challenge. It's a, it's a multi times per season staple of the challenge. It's going to come up in every one of TJ's finals. It's probably going to come up in a daily challenge somewhere throughout the season, if not multiple times. This was the first time ever that we got, I believe, they never described exactly what it was, but it was brains of some kind or another that they had to eat during one of the challenges this season. We had text message clues. That was another evolution. The previous seasons we had always had, we'd had really, there was no host either. I guess this all kind of goes in tandem. Uh, The previous few seasons, they had had the Mr. or Miss Big concept with a former cast member kind of popping in and out or otherwise leaving voiceover clues on cassette tapes. This season, they had voiceover clue every single time from a different cast member from one of their previous shows every other time. So we heard from, you know, 15 different people from different road rules, real world seasons, leaving a clue. But with those clues, they would listen to it. And then they always had their little cell phone with them where they would get a text message clue. The text message clue obviously would become a staple of the show for many, many seasons to come. So this was the first time we had that. First season with a reunion. Shout out Mark Long, one of the two hosts. Sorry to the other hosts, but it is important to document that Mark Long made it up, makes another appearance in the challenge world as one of the hosts of the reunion. First time we had that concept. First time we had a crossover with another reality show outside of Real World or Road Rules or MTV, and that was the Survivor crossover with Ramona from Survivor 1, Survivor Borneo, showing up at the first episode and last episode as the quote-unquote mayor of the first and last challenges of the season. So I know we're in the midst right now of you know the launch of Survivor CBS, and we've had a few seasons of the MTV version of the show with Survivor folks and other CBS people coming over. But those crossovers and those interactions started way back when in this season. And finally, the last evolution of the show uh, to touch on is just that the confessionals, the number of confessionals didn't take a significant jump, although they did take a jump. It went up to about 36 confessionals per episode, where the last two seasons were around 32, which I know doesn't sound like such a huge jump, but when they're a 20-minute episode, to have three or four more per episode is a bit of a jump, and just the in general, the idea of the confessional as the narration of events evolved a big way in this season, where in the past they were just kind of, they were commentary for sure, and they were meant to be fun and witty. This season they were used much more so, like we still kind of think of them being used today, where they're asked to comment on specific events that happened and or tell us something that happened so that we don't have to show long clips of it. There's multiple parts in this uh, multiple times throughout the season where we just didn't actually see what happened and they finished off a story or finished off a mission by having a confessional and having someone just kind of say matter-of-factly, and then this happened and this person did this and then we won and we moved on and we got on a flight over to here and now cut, we're now over there in New York City instead. 
So the confessionals as narration. Final evolution. So there's a bunch of stuff. There's all kinds of things changing, all kinds of seeds being planted for where this show would go in the future. That is kind of where the challenge was at coming in, the basics of this season and how this season evolved. So that's the highest, highest, highest possible level we can talk about it. Now let's take a step down lower and let's discuss at length some of the major storylines of the season. All right, moving into the high-level main storylines of the season, the arcs that lasted, you know, through this longest to date uh, season at all of all time, seventeen episodes. Even today, this is you know not in quite runtime now that we've gone up to sixty and ninety minute episodes. But uh, as far as episode total numbers of episodes, seventeen plus reunion, it's one of the longest ones in the history of the show. And at this time, it was by far the longest one, coming off the season before being eleven episodes, going to seventeen in a reunion. It's a lot more, a lot more time for a lot more things to happen, a lot more stories to take place, a lot more smaller three to four episode arcs versus you know a full season arc. But we still got some things that were you know the heavy storylines from episode one to the end, and we also had a couple moments that were definitely the inflection points of the season or the moments that when looking back now, 20 years later, like we are right now, if you were to say, just sitting amongst challenge fans and you bring up extreme challenge, what do you remember? What, what, what comes to mind? First thing, there are a couple specific moments that and incidents that come to mind for sure. Um, and so we're going to talk about all of those. And the one we have to start with is the biggest one. The one that if, if you were sitting around with a bunch of other challenge fans and you brought up extreme challenge, potentially in a, in a group of challenge fans that are a little bit on the older side, as far as the challenge fandom is considered and had been watching and remember anything about this season. The one thing I would think that would re- be remembered most of all is Ayana getting sent home on the sixth episode. And that being just kind of a big inflection point of this season on uh, a very, kind of some muddy waters to wade through and kind of a complicated situation that took place and definitely became a bit of an eye-opening experience for, I, you know, again, without ever having talked to anyone that was a producer on this show, very much seemed like an eye-opening experience for the production side of things to say, this is the type of stuff that could happen on our show and how are we going to react and respond to it? What are we going to do about it? What, if any, rules should we have in place? It's just a very uh, impactful uh, situation for the series moving forward and for the franchise and was definitely kind of the seminal moment of this season that uh, I will likely think of first when I think of this season. So let's talk about it. We posted a little bit about it on our, on Instagram when we did the episode recap of episode six, which is the entire episode talks about this situation. It doesn't have any daily challenge. Anything else is just this, uh, the departure of Ayana or eventual departure of Ayana after this confrontation that happens. And, as I said on the Instagram, it I didn't post any clips or really many thoughts or anything there because I thought it deserved more time and nuance on a podcast to discuss a little further at length versus the other majority of this show when recapping over on Instagram feels a little more uh, appropriate to you know just have a couple captions and a couple in a couple videos. This not so much. So let's get into it because uh, again, it's really is the seminal moment of the season or kind of the biggest. Uh, the moment that'll be remembered the most more or less. And it is a very complicated one and one that I event, the eventual decision that was made is not something I agree with. Uh, even, you know, acknowledging that obviously I'm watching this 20 minutes, 20 years later and, you know, having an opinion on it and who knows what I would have done in the moment if I was the production or anything, but, um, let's just go through it. 
So quick run through of the of recap of everything we know to have happened based off what we are shown and what we hear from all the castmates uh, in the moment and in their confessionals, everything like that. Don't have in a little bit from the reunion. A little bit extra context was added then. But, uh, you know, outside of that, I haven't talked to anyone, you know, associated with this. So I, we only have the information we were given in the show, which is this is uh, the kind of stitched together timeline of events that happen. First in the fifth episode, and I'm guessing in the kind of week leading or so in real time leading up to the eventual bigger incident, is that we have Christian who is from Norway and uh, road rule. I forget which road rule season he is on without it right in front of me, but not from America. English is his second, maybe even third language, and especially American English um, being a little different as far as our terminology and slang, and certainly American culture and race in America being something very foreign to him, not being from or living here in the States where most of the rest of the cast comes from and the show is you know not always filmed in, but is kind of based out of it's an American show. And so there's a couple times that are brought up in the fifth episode where he, you know, hears something that Letarian or Cyrus or someone else in the cast might say or talk about, and he kind of regurgitates it or tries to fit in by saying this or that. And he, multiple times, it is brought up in the fifth episode that he says very insensitive, very in, uh, very not okay things um, and very racially insensitive commentary towards Letarian, usually towards Letarian. Him and Letarian are good buddies. They're always talking, and, and Christian stepped way over the line a time or two. And in the fifth episode, we hear about it, and we hear Letarian explain, you know, he doesn't understand, you know, what he's hearing some of the times. He doesn't understand our language, our culture, and, and he has multiple times said things where I've had to stop him and say, hey, you can't say that. This is why that is offensive. This is why that's super wrong and super messed up that you would say that, like, it's a good thing you said it to me. You're a friend who's kind of understanding the situation going on here. Like, don't say that stuff ever again. And especially, like, it's a good thing you didn't say it in front of our other black cast members who, you know, you don't have as close of a relationship with who might not react as, like, kindly as I'm reacted to right now. And so we get some acknowledgement that there there's some issues going on here, um, but that Christian is very, very sorry for the instances, and he is just trying to learn. And then episode five actually ends with a very nice, um, lovely moment between Christian, Letarian, and Ayana about the three of them sitting on the bus together and Letarian and Christian commenting, you know, Letarian goes as far as to say, I've never told a guy this before, but, like, you're, you're the best thing about this trip. I just love talking to you so much. I love, like, learning from you. And Christian says back to them and clearly in a kind of a nod to some of the previous situations that we've heard about via confessional of saying, I'm so appreciative of you guys. I, you know, it means a lot to me to be able to be with you and learn from you and, you know, everything, the friendship we've built and all this. And it's just really, really heartwarming moment. And then we open episode six and it's like, uh Oh, something, something really bad went down. And what really bad went down stitched together is, the, all the guys go out to the club for the night. They're there all night long. They come back 5, 5.30 in the morning. They come on the bus. Christian, James, and Letarian are kind of shooting the shit, busting each other's balls, and, you know, cracking jokes. And as Christian says in one of his, his uh, confessionals, he is called a white boy by Letarian, and so he instinctively just thinks and throws something back and ends up using a slur, dropping the N-word. 
And that is super not okay. That is super fucked up. Can't do that. Absolutely not. And Ayana, who has been awoken by these three drunk guys coming back at five something in the morning, hears the slur dropped, immediately gets up, confronts Christian, and there's some sort of physical altercation. And again, later acknowledged that there was at least one full-on punch thrown. And then Ayana departs and kind of spend the entire next day uh, or the day of, because you know, you know, it's basically dawn when this all happens. Uh, Ayana leaves for the day. She goes a different way. She comes back that evening, talks with production. The cast and Ayana never in production altogether never have a discussion. The Road Rules team has a couple different discussions together. The Ayana and the producer have discussions. Very oddly, we we literally like hear uh, it's a partial confessional. Uh, partial we literally listen to the producer and ayana discuss possibilities um but it is eventually while christian feels horrible uh letarian you know has filled him in on how you know horrible what he said was and why and you know christian feels horrible about it he you know the 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 reasoning of him being foreign and not understanding and having heard someone else say it so he thought it was okay to be said and needed to be taught and explained to why it is not okay for a white person to use that word um, and why someone would react so poorly to it, especially given the fact that it was someone who was being woken up by a bunch of drunk idiots at five in the morning. Um, So he feels horrible. He does not want anything to happen to Ayana. The rest of the team doesn't want anything to happen to Ayana. And, um, And so production talks with Diana a couple different times and they eventually come to the decision that she needs to be, that she's going to be removed from the show. And, uh, there is an attempt to say, you know, they ask her multiple times, are you sorry with this? Is there any chance this would happen again? And she doesn't back down from the fact that, um, she is one, not sorry that she did any of it, which she has no reason to be, um, to start throwing some of my opinions in there. And then to the messy part is that, because she won't say I'm sorry, they they try to figure out is or do we have to worry about this happening again? And it seems very clear that they, from the outside, when you're just watching what the little bit of it they're showing us, that they probably don't because you know the person who said the horrible thing that is absolutely not okay to be said and is super duper hurtful. It, you know it. You don't. You never excuse something like that, even in remembering that this all happened in 2001, and we're we're talking about it. You know, 21 years later, you still you still have to be able to take the context in and know that uh, some of the people in the moment um, that opinions should be taken. You know, the strongest feel like this wasn't malicious in any way. It was a complete and utter fuck up on his part. But you know, it wasn't. It's gonna be. It's not gonna happen again. Which means we don't have to worry about any reaction to something like this happening again. But the end result is Ayana goes home, and it doesn't sit well with me. I, I have no idea. Uh, you know, it's, again, this is two thousand one. We don't have a bunch of social media posts to go back to. We don't have part of the reason we're doing this entire podcast rewatch series is because. These shows weren't covered the way they are today back then. And so we don't have a lot of opinion of, you know, what did people think when they saw this? But I would be guessing and I would hope that most people would think, uh, regardless of the context of the situation, the person saying it, the the fact that um, a racial slur was used 
by a white person. And the end result is that a black woman is removed from the show. Just doesn't sit right. Even knowing everything that goes on between that, even knowing that, you know, hey, they have a rule about, or they kind of seemingly have maybe put in some sort of zero tolerance policy on physical violence because of what happened in the season prior where Piggy hit Los or allegedly hit Los, but then was confronted about it by production. She's like, I didn't do it. And everyone's kind of just moves on from it. And Los goes to the hotel for a night, then comes back and is like, I'm okay. We can just, we can continue more or less. Um, maybe they have a policy in place, but it seems like they don't, they have no idea what to do during this. This is one of many times throughout the season where it seems like production is very much figuring it out on the fly and very much uh, doesn't know what to do, how to handle it. But sending her home seems like the wrong, the wrong answer. And I know it, it's just such a complicated situation because you know i don't think christian should have got sent home because of the context of you know uh, you know it's just such a hard it's just such a weird topic like should someone get home for saying something extraordinarily offensive and completely in the wrong regardless of the context i don't know if i would say that they should um they you know there should be some sort of repercussions and but I don't know if they even if, you know, if it was 100 percent, it was very clear this is in malicious. Yeah. Remove that person from the show. We have examples of that later on in the challenge, the history of the challenge, specifically on Dirty 30, uh, for instance, where I think someone should have been removed from the game because of the malicious intent behind their very racially charged and insensitive and wrong words and actions. This didn't doesn't feel like that necessarily. And so I, I don't think Christian should have been sent home um and especially that decision you know if anyone should be weighing in on that it's kind of his other cast members and you know like Letarian comes very much to his defense of you know this is a good person who made a big fucking mistake and where he's learning and we're we're you know we're teaching him and i and we can tell because when something like this happens we he corrects it based on what we're talking to him about and you know how bad he feels so i don't think he should have went home and I understand making a zero toler zero tolerance tolerance policy on physical violence, but it doesn't feel like Ayana should go home either. I know, you know, if she punches someone, if that, um, you know, if the policy is zero tolerance, it's zero tolerance. But this was an era of the challenge that was living in the gray area. Again, the production didn't really have any rules in place. They didn't really know what they were one hundred percent doing. And if you're already in that gray area, then just let her stay put the at least at the very minimum the biggest mistake maybe in the whole part of it from production standpoint is and we have it confirmed we don't just not see it in the episode but in the reunion it's confirmed by ayana they never got to have the whole team and production in a like the main producer in a room together to talk it out she had a couple conversations with christian when she came back later that day they discussed the incident to some degree and he you know shared like i don't want anything to happen to you i don't you know i'm sorry and this, that, and the other, but they never got all the road rules team and the producer in a room and say, Hey, what, let's make sure everyone knows everything that happened. Let's talk about it. And then let's see what is the possible way to move forward without any sort of situation like this arising again. And does everyone feel comfortable with, you know, with Christian and Ayana both staying and moving forward from this? I feel like if they would have put everyone in the room, they would have got to the consensus where everyone would say, yes, we, we don't want any either person to go home. 
and were able to move forward from this and use it as a learning and growth experience. They never put them in the room together. They eventually send her home and uh, it just doesn't sit well. And, and you know, it, it sucks. uh, And it's definitely a learning experience for people, you know, for the audience, it was definitely a learning experience for Christian and the other cast and, you know, to, you know, have race come up in such a way like this and to have, you know, the, violence between cast members come up and just the whole scenario is learning experience for them learning experience for us watching even 20 years later you know i'm watching this learning a bunch and just kind of you know trying to wade through my own thoughts about this very complex situation and how much context should or shouldn't matter in a situation like this what the gray area is what the policies should be things of that nature and the show certainly learns a lot from it but and you know there's we're going to continue through the rest every season of the show. There's unfortunately a lot of uh, touchy, difficult subjects that we're going to have to wade our way through. This is sadly not, you know, it's one of the first real big ones of this, of this magnitude, but it is certainly not the last. Um, and there's certainly a lot of, as we've called them in past podcasts, warts on the history of this show that, uh, you know, it's a show that reflects society in a lot of ways and society sure shit ain't perfect and has a lot of warts of its own. And so when you're putting that on screen, that's going to happen um, sometimes. And how you deal with it is uh, is really what's going to kind of be the testament of the show or not. And sometimes they have dealt with it very well. Sometimes they have really, really dropped the ball and dealt with it pretty horribly. And in this first real big instance of it, I feel like they dropped the ball a good bit and, uh, and the wrong decision was made. And uh, wish Ayana would have been there at the rest of the season. And especially she it should go saying the first five episodes, she's one of the stars of the season by a long shot. She was, you know, on her way to a lot of MVP consideration for the season in the first few episodes while she was still there. So that was that. That was by far this is the biggest uh, moment of the season. So I know I just droned on about it a, long, a really long time without saying a whole lot. But um you know, those are some of the thoughts and feelings, and that's definitely going to be the kind of moment or the inflection point that is uh, always when this season comes up, one of the big ones that is brought up. Let's move into some of the other storylines then. So next one, the probably if we're talking the biggest overall storyline from start to finish that's always prevalent, that's kind of one long arc from the entire season, that would be that real world absolutely kicks ass the whole season <laughs> and uh Road Rules doesn't have much of a chance uh, at most points. And along with real world kicking ass, they maybe push the boundaries of the rules a little bit. First part that they kick ass. They win four of the first five missions. Then they lose four out of five, interesting enough, in the middle. And then they win six in a row and the final to eventually go 11 and four in the daily challenges with the finals win on top of that. So 12 and four in total. And really, if you even break up the first missions, actually three different missions that they kind of count as one worth 20 grand instead of 10. They won two out of three there. So 13, five, however you want to break it down. They absolutely dominate the season. And of the four that they lose right in the middle, when they lose four out of five, Two of those four are won by Christian by himself, single individual performance where it's a daily that allows for one person to do so well that the rest of the team can completely um, drop the ball and not get any points or do anything, and someone can win. The rollerball one, Christian just 
pretty much does everything that's worth points for his team. And then the Skywalk uh, Daily Challenge, Christian literally is the only one that makes it across of anyone and scores more points than the entire other team combined for his run. So two of the four, they lose on a single individual performance, not even a team to team. So, a, you know, 12 and four on the season, pretty incredible. They absolutely kick ass. Um, and for that kicking ass, they're good sports 90% of the way. Uh, you know, in the story of the season, it's kind of real world's off to this great start. And then road rules is feeling bad. They're all bummed out, but then they win that four out of five. And when they're winning that four out of five, it's like, it's the most fun of the season. Cause everyone's having fun. Real world's still having fun. Road rules is having some fun now. And then they go back on that loot, the winning streak slash losing streak and road rules just gets depressed and upset and bummed out. And it really kind of brings the whole energy of the sh- episodes and the season in total down a whole lot. Uh, but real world throughout it all is good sports like 90% of the way. And then the last two to three episodes, you can start to see like, it's a little bit deserved that road rules is like getting pissed off and that real world's getting on their nerves a little bit. They maybe could tone down, uh, you know, celebrate, have a great time. This is the time of life and experience of a life. But some of the celebrations, a couple of them in particular, right at the end, a couple of the last few are like, you could maybe, you know, wait till you're on your own separate bus. You understand how they're feeling and you claim to be all friends, all 12 of you, like, you know, read the room a little bit better with your celebration. But for the most part, they're very gracious and good winners for a majority of the season, but they are part of the, the, the issue, the tension between the two teams and the part of the reason where road rules gets even more upset and depressed kind of as the season goes on and they lose and lose and lose. And that's mostly led by James, who is, uh, the youngest member of the cast by far. He's 20, I believe, at the time of this airing early in his college career and very competitive person that just really doesn't like losing uh, a lot and drives a lot of the kind of tension competitively between the two teams. But also part of it is driven by the fact that real world maybe bends the rules here or there. There's three big instances of it, although it's alluded to it maybe happens even more than that. The very first mission of the entire thing is called Ring of Fire. They have to bungee jump into a, literally a ring of fire on a lake um, while holding a bunch of these little balls, inflatable balls. And the more they hold, the more points you get. And starting with person number one, real world kind of goes to the side and says, we can deflate all these and crumple them up. And then we can stuff more in our hands and our mouths and everywhere that we can hold them. And it takes a couple runs before road rules decide realize what they're doing. And they're like, Hey, yeah, I guess that's not against the rules, but it doesn't really feel like it's in the spirit of the contest. But now like, if you're going to keep doing it, we'll do it too. And, you know, they end up losing. Then there is a mission where one of the many steps of the mission or parts of the mission is a rappelling forwards down a wall where it's, uh, I believe it's called house running, but you're supposed to keep your feet on the wall of the building as you rappel down it and walk slash run your way down. And Emily versus Julie is one of the matchups. Emily is way, way ahead. And then Julie just straight up drops herself. She does not keep her feet on the wall. She just drops as fast as the, as the line will let her and the safety people will let her drop all the way to the bottom, hits the bottom and ends up winning by like half a second. A huge commotion ensues. They end up calling no points awarded. They offer a redo. Emily won't do it on principle and pride or something of that sort. And it's a whole, whole mess, but it's the second big instance of like, you guys are really, that one was kind of actually set in the rules and you're kind of going against it. And then the big one at the end, late in the season, there's a paintball mission. They have to do a human shield 
the other team shooting you while you're a human shield, two people shield one person, you run through this course. At the end of the course, you're running right up towards where the two shooters for the other team are, and you tap an, an end goal. And it's your time to run there, plus your how many times your your person that you're trying to guard from getting hit, how many times they get hit adds to your time. So they don't want it them to get shot. And Road Rules is running first. They get to the sign, they touch the sign, and they feel like, and it is very much true, that the real world, and specifically Jamie, has shot a few extra after the buzzer, after they've touched the sign, and has shot them three or four more times from point-blank range after the round is supposed to be over. They then, so Road Rules conspires to do the same. James takes it even further and very obvious, and a huge confrontation comes of it, which we'll talk about in a moment. But that those three big instances amongst maybe some others that were a little even more subtle, but, you know, road rules or real world a little bit pushing pushing the limits, but they kick ass all season. Real world uh, or road rules gets more and more depressed by the end of the season. It's just it really brings the show down in a big way how much fun they're clearly not having anymore. Um, and it all culminates in that paintball mission that we just described. And when there's a huge blow up, when James gets some extra shots after the buzzer, hits Cyrus right in the head. Cyrus gets up, gets in his face. And it is by far probably the second moment that will always be remembered of uh, this this season is the this entire dust-up uh, is, you know, we had the cast on cast violence before that we talked about that whole situation. But this was like, are two people going to straight up, like, fist fight right now for the first time ever on the show? And Cyrus holds James by the collar. We get a cliffhanger. We open the next episode. We don't really see any res how it was broken up. What we know, no one, no one actually fought. Uh, that was what we saw was the most of it. But we learn that <laughs> they call the mission off. And first in challenge history, they just they say, nope, no one wins. It's over. It's done. We think it's all done. But then they show up to New York City. They fly across the pond, go back to New York City, and they learn there. Actually, we're not done. We are going to litigate what happened in a celebrity court and that is going to finalize the mission and decide who gets the $10,000. And so the whole paintball Cyrus James dust up and then the court proceedings and Letarian being the only one who attends and does the mission for his road rules team as they don't want to do it anymore. Letarian's like, I'm not, I'm not sitting out. I'm not just letting them have the $10,000. He goes in the courtroom, performs better than everyone else, but because his team isn't there, they still lose the $10,000. It's a whole thing. That whole big moment is pretty wild and uh, pretty seminal in series history and is definitely you know the second big moment or uh, story that I'm going to think of when coming out of this season. It is definitely another one where I think the producers were kind of learning in the fly. I mean, they literally had to just say, all right, the mission's over. There's two people fighting. There's people cheating. We don't know what to do. And we got to, the mission's over. We're just done. And then after the fact, they come up with, well, what if, you know, we've got this guy, Judge uh, Mills, uh, Mill, Lane Mills, Mills Lane. I apologize. I am forgetting his name at the moment. But celebrity judge, you know, Judge Judy type has his own show, Judge Mills Lane. Apologies there. And he, you know, they're like, we can have him. He's already like under contract with MTV because he's on Celebrity Deathmatch and this other stuff. Let's have him litigate this. And it's like another challenge. And so they're just throwing stuff together. and. Clearly, they're learning a bunch, but they're throwing it together on the fly, and it's all, it's all wild uh, and crazy, and definitely a memorable thing from the show. All right, a couple other big storylines then. 
romance and rivalries. That's kind of a storyline this of every season of the challenge for the history of it, starting really in season, I mean, a lot of there's a little romance, I think, in season one, but season two, tons of romance, not much heated rivalries. Season three, a little bit of both. This season had a tiny bit of both, but it definitely is kind of a category uh, or a storyline we're probably going to end up talking about every single season. With this one, um, there's only one romance, which is kind of wild, coming off of season three, where uh, basically everyone, or two and three, really, where it seems like everyone in the cast was hooking up with someone or other in the cast or outside the cast, whatever. This was the the season only one couple produced in any kind, kind of on again, off again, Rebecca and James throughout. We got it in the second or third episode. It would pop up every once in a while for a little two episode run. If they were liking each other again, if she thought he was a little immature and overly competitive again. And so they're off to then they spend the night in a hotel room together. So they're definitely back on. We get the whole Rebecca James uh, thing throughout. They also get what, I'll, I'll see if this holds true, but I think is maybe the only time I can remember in challenge history, they get like a two minute montage at the end of one of the episodes. That is just a montage of their relationship, seemingly from the entire show, all, all episodes, all time frame involved where it's like 30 different little two second clips of them at this dinner, cuddling in this bus or walking together in this place and all this stuff. It just is kind of out of nowhere, like little montage about them that I don't remember having seen before on any other seasons the only rivalry we get the real rivalry we get is julie versus emily who it's we i guess a lot there behind the scenes we don't hear about it until kind of in the middle really just the episode where they then have the confrontation over julie potentially cheating unknowingly in the repelling mission and we see them butt heads but by the reunion they're good they say they're all squared no problem there there's kind of a Jamie versus James in the background of rivalry. It's not a rivalry, but there's kind of a, the first like six episodes, especially until it becomes real world's just completely dominating. And that's it. There is this Jamie and James are kind of the, the athletes of each team and every contest it's, you know, finding a way to put them up against each other. Probably most in the biggest one became the wrestling match where James absolutely slams Jamie into the ground. But Jamie Murray, who goes on to be a three-for-three three challenge champ, um, we will discuss him a little bit later, but that that's kind of brewing in the background. They never really bring it to the foreground. And then the only other romance really is the bromance between Christian and Letarian. Again, we talked a little bit about it before, that, you know, educating each other, Letarian educating Christian a bunch um, in a bunch of different important ways and just how much they they seemed to over and over it was brought up how much they enjoyed each other's company and were kind of the linchpins where each of them at different times felt a little bit on the outs with their own team but they always you know could come together and talk about it out when Letarian decides to do the judge Judy-esque uh litigate the paintball mission Christian is the only one on his team that comes to him and like tries to have a real heart to heart and say like the team doesn't want to do this. I get that you want to do this. What should we actually do here? Every like, let's respect each other's opinions. Um, so those are the only romance and rivalries. Then a bunch of celebrity cameos. That was a theme of the season and a major storyline. I can't even believe how many different celebrity cameos there were. We've had a few huge ones in the previous couple seasons, but they just really upped the budget and the number in this season. We have LL Cool J and Chris Klein, and I apologize, I don't remember your name, the director of the movie Rollerball, when they do an actual 
mission on set of Rollerball, and LL Cool J and Chris Klein are there the whole time with them. We get Upright Citizens Brigade with Amy Poehler and crew there to host a mission with Tina Fey as a guest judge. We have U.S. soccer players, two men, two women from the U.S. Olympic team, including Landon Donovan, who is like maybe the most famous male soccer, U.S. soccer player ever, uh, possibly, um, especially at the time. They show up. We have Jay Cochran, Skywalking Guru and Legend, and then Judge Mills Lane, uh, Celebrity Judge, as we said. So they're all over the board. Every other episode, it seems, we get some sort of celebrity cameo. And the final then storyline to to touch on is, we've mentioned it a couple times before, but just to kind of run back through it and re-point out a couple different specific things is that it's pretty clear through the whole season that production doesn't have any idea what the hell they're doing. Um, and with respect to, to them who are, you know, dealing with this burgeoning franchise, this show that's trying to get bigger. And that is very much a revol- revolutionary might be strong, but uh, you know, is a brand new thing. This doesn't really exist in the world. You know, survivor and big brother and amazing race started around the time, the third and fourth season of the challenge were coming out. So no one else was really doing anything like this and putting all of this together and, you know, especially going from six episodes to 11 to 17 and going from like four or five missions to 10 to 15. And a final mission is a, you know, a lot going on in a short couple years time frame and probably a pretty shoestring budget, even though they were knowing how successful this was. So there's a lot of reasons why they might not have been doing the greatest job, but we discussed obviously the handling of the Ayana removal. I said before I I didn't agree with it, and but even regardless of agree or disagree, if she or Christian or anyone should have been removed, is that they clearly in the moment had no idea what to do and they were figuring it out on the fly. And you know that's a, a learning curve a show like this maybe has to go through in this stage of yeah. There's going to be stuff we're not thinking of like the real heavier stuff, the difficult scenarios that we might have to you know, have some rules or regulations about or some, you know, processes for this is how we handle this type of situation. They got to have that situation before they realize we got to know how to handle it, but they didn't know how to handle it. The paintball thing, as said before, that they just called a mission off in the middle of it because they had no idea what to do with two cast members getting each other's faces, looking like they're going to get physical with both teams openly cheating. And then from the reunion, uh, we find out that uh, they're pretty candid in the reunion. Um, the reunion is very, it's the exact same setup as, you know, reunions still are now. The whole cast was there. The two hosts ask some questions. They take some fan questions. Um, some of it's interesting. Some of it's not. But this one, they're very much, you know, there's no, like, fake drama of anyone going in thinking, like, oh, I just know I'm going to, they're going to ask me about this one thing with this person. I'm going to make sure to make a big old scene because, you know, it'll get me a bunch of time on the reunion. They're very genuine, and one of the most genuine moments in it is they kind of, Dan starts talking about maybe they didn't feel so trustworthy of production, and then everyone kind of encourages, like, yeah, you, it's cool, you can say this, and, like, everyone kind of echoes his sentiment, but they pretty openly say they didn't feel safe in the missions, they didn't feel that trustworthy by about midway through the experience. They were wondering every time they showed up who was going to get hurt that day. If what they were doing was safe, they mentioned that there was a lot of injuries we weren't seeing from, uh, I believe they said, you know, Cyrus 
got hurt at one point. Camila tore some cartilage in her knee. I think Cyrus was a back or shoulder. Someone else had a back or shoulder. That was another one. Uh, but they were pretty much saying almost every mission, someone was getting hurt in some way. And as we watched it, I commented in a bunch of my episode recaps that like the rollerball mission, super duper unsafe. They were, they were tasked with not just rollerblading, but rollerblading on a hilly, fast, wild with jumps course that is literally made for a movie where it's all professional stunt people doing all of the rollerblading and crazy shit. And there was a lot of people falling and it was just it was really dangerous. The paintball mission, the is they're shooting people with paintballs from literally like five feet away at the end of it. And it's just, you know, very painful, very not the safest thing in the world. They do a Tough Mudder course in it. It's not called Tough Mudder. Maybe the inspiration for Tough Mudder came from they used to do a tough guy challenge that is just a, a long run with muddy obstacle course along the way. That is, there's some areas they're falling from rope courses during it from like 10, 15 feet in the air, just falling kind of to the ground, nothing underneath them. And there's one real bad fall Julie takes where I have no idea how it isn't. She just broke an ankle or a foot or a leg or whatever. Um, they bungee jump multiple times in this season and every single time the person has to instruct them like this is where you can fall this is what you can do and this is if you do this other thing you might be really unsafe uh there's ways to do this where we're going to get really really hurt that just seem not great so the safety standards aren't really there um and then the final thing is there is an episode this season that only aired one time ever and then was stripped from the world forever to be after that. It was never available again anywhere else. It is never going to, I would assume, available anywhere. Um, and I guess it's just too controversial to air. It was some, the the description that we know from you know Wikipedia is that they had to dress up like famous couples at a fetish club in Germany. They referenced it on the reunion multiple times that it was extremely you know risque and uh, that maybe maybe some of the outfits or the choices made were insensitive or maybe who knows, maybe it was like they didn't clear rights with the club to have it on. But for one reason or another, it became too controversial to ever air again after the first and only time they ever put it out on MTV to air. So all that had a production uh, had a long, long way to go to earn their own stripes uh, in this world and to really know what they were doing, putting this on. So that was certainly a storyline for the season as well. So we had the entire uh, Christian Ayana saga and the paintball called off. We go to court. Uh, that saga. Those were kind of the two biggest, you know, inflection points of the season for certain. As far as overall storylines, real world kicking ass with just a brief blip in the middle where Road Rules thought they had a chance, but that kind of killing the back third of the season as far as the energy and the mood. Very little in the romance and rivalry. Tons of celebrity cameos in production. Really. Not knowing a whole lot what's going on. Those are the things that I will remember this season for on a little bit higher of a level. And so with that then, let's move in and talk about some actual super detailed, specific things that we might remember this season for, or hopefully remember it for, and do so by handing out our hardware for a best quote, a best moment, the best daily challenge episode, season MVP. And of course, We've got to grade the season and put it in the Pantheon for all time to come. So let's move into our awards segment. 
All right, we've got the theoretical hardware lined up in front of us on the desk. We're ready to hand out some trophies. We're going to start with the best quote of the season. We've got four nominees. The first one in chronological order here is going to be Ayana, who absolutely was crushing the confessional booth early on in this season while she was still on the season with us. Gave some of the best confessionals, gave some of the best quotes. My favorite of hers was with regards to a mission they were doing in Booth Bay Harbor, Maine. Shout out Booth Bay Harbor, personal uh, personal favorite place of mine. Oddly enough, I was blown away when I saw this little coastal town in Maine that I am familiar with uh, shown on the challenge. Never knew that that occurred there, but they're doing a fisherman-related series of games as a mission there, one of which is they had to run a relay race across a bunch of lobster traps in the water and you had to run across it, and of course they were going to kind of sink as you ran on them so you're going to fall it's going to be fun and funny for us watching which it was but as far as strategy goes for running across these lobster traps ayana knew exactly who she needed to channel in that moment so let's hear her and her thoughts on that now looking at these crates i know that this is not going to be a competition of brawn but it has to be a competition of brains have to be light on my feet as if i was bruce lee be like water. It's exactly what what needed to be what needed to happen there to run on water. You got to be like water. And Ayana definitely, actually, I think was maybe the second or third best person at that particular thing. There's only one person I believe that it was Jamie that made it all the way down and back without falling in in this. And Ayana nearly did. So channeled Bruce Lee very effectively in that moment. Next one then is James, who uh, young brash guy, as we mentioned a few times before. And he, during a mission where they have to spend the night in a naval base where they are, of all things, learning to fix uh, leaks on a submarine, which they then have to literally do a scenario where a submarine floods with them in it and they have to fix the leaks as a mission is truly wild. Um, They have to spend the night. He and the other guys on road rules, they kind of butt heads and uh, try to go against some of the night light lights out rules. They end up doing push-ups in the hallway, being ordered around a little bit extra, this, that, and the other. And James doesn't really like it because he doesn't like authority. He doesn't think authority likes him, and that's unfair. And he drops a quote that is a quote I'm sure you've heard before because it's been said many, many times in history. Most of those times it's said it is downright wrong. Uh, I will personally say... I have probably said this in my life a couple times when I was around the same age James was at this time as well. And while all types of people might say it, usually it's it's the young men that uh, might be the ones who say what James says here. So let's hear that now. It's not that I have a problem with authority. It's just usually authority has a problem with me. Again, if you're saying I don't have a problem with authority, authority has a problem with me, it's a good chance it's a you problem. It's not a 100% guarantee. It could be authority's problem, but it's, uh, in this case, not so much. And in most cases, including when I probably said this in the past, it probably was more of a me problem and a you problem this one. But moving on, our third nominee is a non-cast member. It's we we op- this is always all these awards are always open to cast and otherwise anyone that appears in the episodes. It's a little but it's a higher bar for a non-cast member to clear to make it into a nomination for an award. But uh, whatever bar exists, it was cleared by a mile by Jay Cochran, the skywalking extraordinaire, one of the many celebrity guest cameos this season. He comes in to teach them how to walk across a wire 100 feet up in the air, 70 feet across. And everything he says in his time is just amazing. He is just your typical hard-ass, hard-nosed, 
tell it like it is, brutally honest, no sugarcoating allowed anywhere near him type of coach and guy. And we're just going to play a string of different things he says because everything that comes out of his mouth in his time on the show is just impeccable. And he has every one of these cast members absolutely shaking in their boots over the prospects of what they're going to have to do walking across this wire. So let's just hear a bunch of stuff that Jay said. Welcome to your next challenge. I want you to pay very close attention this afternoon because your life physically will depend on it. Uh, Stiffen up. Because when that concrete hits you tomorrow, you're going to stiffen up. Has anyone died? Yes, lots have died. Jay, seriously, of course we're going to have uh, a cord attached there. Right? Excuse me? What are you talking about, a cord? In case something happens, you don't want to die, right? Now, what part of no is it you don't understand? Jay, who would have your students do this, right? So, I mean... Oh, wouldn't I? Your students do this on the first day, though. Like, a day practice, and you have your students do it. So excuse me. Really my students didn't ask to take the challenge. <laughs> the excuse me, my students didn't ask to take the challenge is in reference to a, a long discussion where they they have not been told what safety gear, if any, they will have. And Jay convinces them upon them asking, will we have, we will be obviously like a harness or something, right? And he convinces them, no, you will not. You, you will either do this or you will fall and die, which is incredible. <laughs> Again, and also production, maybe it was great television, but maybe you don't actually let them think that they're potentially going to die the next day if they go through with the mission. Moving on, our fourth and final nominee is Susie. Susie joins us late in the season. She is the replacement for Ayana. She, honestly, and by her standards, which would eventually go on to be in seasons past this one, a Hall of Fame-level candidacy, a Hall of Fame-level challenger from Susie. Not a lot from her on this debut season coming in late, but one thing that we get from her is a couple great quotes early on about how her team, who she's interacted with for a few weeks at the time, episode 12, that this comes quote comes about, Maybe it's a little bit more about the friendships and the experiences than about winning the money, which is what Susie's kind of came in to do. She's there to win money. So let's let her explain that now. Because I don't think the best part's the money, but the experiences and the people, you know, I'm, I'm hopefully going to take that with me the rest of my life. Maybe yeah, I but if that's what you want, then that's great. But I, that's not my goal here. I think it takes guts to be like, this is what I'm here for. And I'm bitter and jealous and I want their money. Gotta love the honesty. Always got to love the honesty and A. I, I would be right there with you. The experience sounds great. The friendships sound amazing. But I also, uh, I kind of want the money along with it. So props her for saying that. But also, uh, in a long the longer version of that, not just that quote, but the conversation that precludes that quote, she mentions how her team's just not very competitive. And I've got to ask, Susie, have you met James? Have you talked to your teammate who is by far and away the most competitive person there? It's literally one of the biggest storylines of the season is how overly competitive he is. Anyways, those are your four nominees for quote of the year. And as much as I want to give it to Jay for everything he says in his entire performance, I'm going to give it to Ayana, light on my feet like I'm Bruce Lee, mostly as an award for crushing the confessionals and crushing the show for the short time that she was there. So Ayana gets the quote of the season and now we'll move on to the moment of the year, moment of the season. I keep saying over the year, this case, it, it works because there was only one season this calendar year, 2001, but moment of the season and five nominees here. The first one, episode eight, there's a bubble blowing contest between Dan and James. It is truly wonderful. It is amazing. 
Uh, all of these moments that we're going to list for all the quotes that we just said and all these moments we're about to say are all depicted on the Challenge Historian Instagram at some point during the episode recap. So if you want to see all of these in clip form, you can go there, uh, save them all as highlights. So go to the actual profile page and there's two different highlights because there's so many dang clips uh, for Extreme Challenge Part 1 and Part 2 where you can see all of these. And I behoove you, you got to go watch Episode 8, the bubble blowing contest between Dan and James. They're just the two of them sitting on the bus together. And Dan's blowing some bubbles. He's got some little, you know, that you get at like kids' birthday party, little bubbles in a bottle that you can blow. And he's blowing some. And James is like, you know, let me try that. I can blow a bigger bubble than you. Of which Dan, knowing both uh, what's funny and entertaining for him personally in the moment and for us watching, as well as knowing how com- overly competitive James is, decides, yeah, James. You can uh you can try to blow a bigger bubble than me, but uh before you do, let's make a little wager. Maybe we wager having to strip and uh streak around the two buses. How's that sound? And the whole experience aided by the fact that James then his attempt to blow a bubble leads to zero bubbles at all. Uh but Dan's performance during it is just virtuoso performance. He is hilarious during the whole thing. He knows exactly he's got a little you know, a cat holding the string above a cat, just toying with him, knows exactly how to push James buttons in a fun, funny way in a very, in the, you know, they're, they're both having a great time during it. And it, it results in James going outside and stripping down and doing a lap around both buses and then coming back in and everyone laughing, everyone having a great time. And Dan quoting historical figures and the ends justify the means. The whole thing is just absolutely fantastic. And again, this and all the moments we're about to say, you can see on the Challenge Historian's Instagram feed on that highlight reel. Next moment of the year nominee then is Christian winning the Skywalk contest. So we mentioned Jay Cochran being there to teach them all to walk across the wire. This entire episode kind of revolves, it it revolves around Jay being a just a complete ruthless badass, which is amazing as we previously covered. But it also revolves around Christian and Emily, both on the Road Rules team, they had previously uh, spent some time together in Europe where uh, outside of Road Rules or on the challenge or anything, just uh, outside of the shows, and when they were together, there was a really bad near-fatal car accident where Christian was driving, his girlfriend was in the car, as was Emily, and it was a very traumatic experience for him. They were all uh, injured to some degree. They were all kind of lucky to be alive afterwards and it had really affected his life and how he lived his life from then on out of kind of not wanting to push the limits, wanting to kind of be more reserved in his life. And then this episode comes about and we hear about this, this whole backstory. And then they get to this, this contest where they have to skywalk hundred feet in the air. And yes, they do thankfully have a harness. It's a bungee harness that they're told if you drop at the beginning or the very end, you might hit the poles, but if you drop in the middle, you'll be fine, which is, again, safety concerns everywhere on almost every one of these missions, but uh, he's very nervous about doing it. This is something, the type of thing he wouldn't do anymore post-car crash because it's not, you know, it, he, it's not kind of the more reserved nature. He doesn't want to push things too far anymore. He doesn't want to push himself beyond to a place of danger ever again, and so this is very, uh, bringing back all those emotions and those feelings. He is the one during the practice session with Jay who is kind of struggles the most, is the most freaked out, asking the most questions about like, is this safe? Are we going to have harnesses, this, that, the other? And then they get to the actual contest and he's the last one to go. Production did do a couple things right this season and they 
clearly staged this a little bit to like, let's make him last. So maybe we get lucky with the storyline. And then they did. Everyone else goes. 11 people go. No one from Road Rules scores a point. Real World scores a couple points, but only enough to be at like 125 points. And if you get all the way across the entire 70-foot wire, you get 200 points. So it's Christian's last to go, and he has the ability to be the only person to get further. No one else has gotten further than a quarter. Of the, or No, Camila, very well done job, got like two-thirds of the way across. Jamie got a third of the way across. No one else even got a third of the way to score any points. Christian, if he's able to get all the way across, face his fears, face his demons, push himself, and somehow, with literally like an hour of training, do a 70-foot-long skywalk 100 feet up in the air, which is bananas that he pulled this off. Uh, if he gets all the way across, they get 200 points, and the whole team wins. And guess what? Spoiler alert, this is the moment of the year nominee. Guess what happened? He gets all the way across, and he wins the whole thing for his team. It's amazing. And again, it's only one of only four times they win the whole season. So it's even more amazing because of that. So that moment is amazing. That is, is really nice, heartwarming type of stuff, and is really cool when the when a daily challenge can lend itself to a cool storyline like that. Then, third nominee for moment of the year. Episode 12. They do, we previously briefly mentioned a Tough Mudder. It's essentially a Tough Mudder. If you're familiar with the Tough Mudder, where you, it's a, a, a different, depends on the length of the run. This one they were doing was like two to three mile run with a bunch of obstacles and mud pits and stuff they have to climb across and ropes course and whatever across it. They have to do one of those. And it's by, by far physically the hardest mission of the season and the series to date. It is the first time where we're like, oh, we see where some of the ideas started to turn this into like a sport Um, because this is like high level, like it takes a high physical ability to be able to complete what they're asked to do here. And during it, Dan on real world side and Susie on road rule size really, really struggle. And they're they're Their team is a little bit ahead of where they are and their team has to keep kind of coming back and helping them out, helping them get through the next part. And at this point of the season, Both teams have had a little friction. There's a little bit of competitiveness always in the air. And you kind of start this mission thinking, oh, my God, this is going to end horribly. These people are going to be so mean to their teammates who are struggling a little more than the others with this. And it ends up being the reverse. And it's so heartwarming. It's so wonderful. Latarian and James, uh, shout out James, of all people, is the is the big moment where he runs up to Susie and you're like, oh man, this is going to be bad, isn't it? This is going to be horrible. He's so competitive. He's going to like just yell at her or whatever. And then no, he's just like the greatest teammate ever. Latarian's the greatest teammate ever. They're helping Susie. They're pulling her along. They're talking her up. They're motivating her. They're loving her, you know, take breaks when she needs to, all this. Dan on real world side, same thing. He's a little bit behind his team, but they're cheering him on. They're helping him. They're doing anything they can. And we get to the end. And the last part is a ropes course part. And they hold down a rope and steady it for Dan. They help him all the way across real world ends up winning, but both teams when it's done kind of break down emotionally and are so happy and so, and so grateful for each other. And they both kind of huddle together and do a little prayer slash just, I love you guys. Thank you so much. Like, this is amazing. And it's just by far and away like the most heartwarming part of the entire season is them all overcoming this massive physical challenge and coming through it as a team and showing great teamwork and camaraderie and all that. So that's a moment of the year nominee. Then, as much as it's not heartwarming, the James Cyrus paintball incident, grabbing him by the collar, thinking we're about to get the first ever, you know, heavy fight 
uh, competitive fight in challenge history. Uh, the entire incident is is wild and crazy and uh, is definitely a moment of the year nominee, even if it's, uh, you know, there's some negative parts of it for sure, but it is, it sticks in the mind. It's a moment of the year nominee. And then the final one is coming off of that is Letarian getting the gavel in episode 16. He goes in, represents in Judge Mills Lane's court, his team by himself. He shreds the competition. His, his testimony, his, uh, his, his arguments are just top-notch. He actually puts forward the, the only case possible that, that's out there and figures it out and figures out how to argue it to say road rules should obviously win this and get the money and is told at the end, hey, like, R- real world's team sucked. They got shredded by Judge Mills Lane. They did a horrible job presenting their case. You did amazing. You clearly won this, but the rules say your whole team needs to be here so they get the money, but you can have my gavel. And then it's a nice little moment for Letarian, even though it's like you could have given the man $10,000 instead of a gavel. That would have been a nice moment, but they give him the gavel. It's really nice. And it is the one time of the season that should be highlighted. There's four or five times in the season that someone on road rules uses it's you know I've gotta I've gotta have my pride um, as an excuse for not wanting to do something or not wanting to redo something or being in an argument and saying like I'm not willing to sacrifice my pride and every time but one it is complete and utter bullshit uh, most notably like when Emily and Julie the whole thing goes down between them and they offer Emily they're like all right we agree we think maybe they cheated a little bit so. Since she beat you but probably cheated, what if we do it again and we don't give them any points, but we'll do it again. We'll let you do it again, and Emily won't do it because of pride. And it's like, uh, actually, they're giving you the best-case scenario here, so go ahead and do it. In this case, Letarian cites, I want to earn some of my pride back. I'm not just going to roll over and let them have this money. And he's actually correct, and then he does a killer job, and then he gets the gavel, and it's a wonderful moment. So Letarian getting the gavel, moment nominee number one. The Cyrus James paintball incident, nominee number two. The teamwork on display during the tough guy, Dan and Susie across the finish line. That's moment number three. Christian winning the Skywalk contest, number four. In the bubble blowing contest between Dan and James, number five. And of those, it just far and away, it might be the smallest of moments, but those are usually the best of the season. In this case, it certainly is so. The bubble blowing contest between Dan and James is just my maybe my favorite moment of the first four seasons in general. I just love everything about it. It's so unbelievably wonderful. And again, you can go see it on the Instagram page if you would like to watch that in full. Moving on then, two awards for uh, not specific people, but instead Daily Challenge and Episode. And actually these, the winners go hand in hand. We'll start with Daily Challenge and just gave a big spoiler away for the best episode, but Regardless, best daily challenge, five nominees, episode five, which is Rollerball Resurrection, where they do the roll onset at Rollerball. That uh, daily mission takes up most of it, but that episode is a highly rated episode as well. Quickly, don't know why I didn't do this before, but pulling back up the episode ratings here so I can discuss them as I go through these on the fly podcasting at its best. But uh, that is the nominee number one. Then we've got episode eight, which is human foosball, which came in at, uh, actually we don't have those grades in front of us. So human foosball is, that was when the U S Olympic soccer team showed up. They think they're going to play soccer. Then they play soccer, but a foosball version. It's one of the best daily challenges of the season 
far and away is the easiest one to know. Like that's a nominee. The moment I saw it, it was like, I don't know what the rest of them are going to be, but that one's a nominee. And, uh, it's just amazing in every way they actually create on a soccer field, uh, a human blow up, like inflatable foosball court where you're strapped to a line. You can only go horizontal, not forward and backwards. If, if you can imagine what a foosball table looks like, imagine if that was actual humans and that was life size. They literally recreated it. It's amazing. There's an audience for it. It's great. Episode 10, then, third Daily Challenge nominee is Bring It On. They do a cheer contest, a legitimate cheer contest. Uh, it's at Boston University, I believe. And they have to do a theme, a chant, and a full-on dance routine with, like, tosses and flips and stuff. And they both teams absolutely crush it. They're both kind of amazing and blows me away how good they are, even though one of the teams feels like they do shit. Blows me away. So good. Um, and obviously, the Bring It On reference is always big uh, you know, 90s kid here. Bring it on. Love that movie. Love that franchise as well. Fourth nominee for the best daily challenge is the breathtaking, which is the skywalk contest that we have referenced multiple times now. And then the episode 16 operation human shield, which is the paintball slash courtroom drama, uh, daily challenge, all five of those. And then special shout out to, we referenced it before, but I've just kind of pointed out again. Um, and we'll just add it as a sixth nominee is the the daily challenge that on the naval base where they had to substandard they called it where they had to spend a day learning to how to fix all different types of leaks in an engine room of a submarine and then get put in a fake engine room of a submarine and tested on their ability to fix leaks by having a bunch of them spring out and doing an actual like drill that real Navy folks on that spend time on submarines would do to practice, to be able to save their lives. They actually had to do it. And it's just wild and insane and crazy. And I can't believe that they had them do it. And I don't know at what point, uh, this is the third season row. They kind of have a, a challenge or two that are like a job esque thing. where like, yeah, we're going to go real learn like a real technical skill and then apply it in the field or whatever. And this one's kind of the most wild of all of them. They all both end up in a engine room, you know, five feet filled with water where it's called off when they eventually are going to drown. And so that's when their time ends basically. So shout out to that one. It may be a second place, but it doesn't quite win. The human foosball is the best daily challenge of the season far and away. It is so much fun. It's the perfect mix of it is, you know, takes athletic ability. There is an athletic element, a physical element to it. There is a strategic element to where you're going to place your people on this thing that you're just seeing for the first time and where people standing, which will impact what some of the positions turn out to not be impactful at all. Others make all of the difference. And then it's just, it's silly and it's funny and it's fun and it causes drama and it causes the people kind of wrestling each other for positioning. It's just everything you'd want in a daily challenge is on display, plus the celebrity cameos, plus the live audience. Human foosball is the best daily challenge. Moving on then, kind of spoiled it, but the best episode, four nominees, episode five, Rollerball Resurrection, episode eight, Love and Foosball, episode 11, The Scariest Mission of All Time, and episode 15, Downward Spiral. Most of these all are episodes that are take the things that take place are the things we've previously talked about downward spiral episode 15 is the paintball the first part of the paintball debacle and also features the first ever eating nasty stuff the torture mission daily challenge um, which is wild and they have to do a bunch of stuff but has a bunch of challenge first like the eating gross stuff and then has 
this confrontation over the paintball. Episode 11, scariest mission of all time, is the skywalking mission we've talked about at length now between Jay or Christian and everything that went down. Rollerball resurrections when they're on, on set of the movie. It's wild, crazy, and is also the episode that kicks off the James and Rebecca romance. But episode eight, Love and Foosball, is by far the best episode of the season. It's the highest rated. It, no episode of the season cracks into my A rankings or A ratings, but B plus is as high as it got. Episode eight, Love and Foosball. It featured the best moment of the season that we just discussed, the, the bubble blowing contest. It features the best challenge, daily challenge of the season that we just discussed in the human foosball. And it features the culmination of the James Rebecca relationship, where we learned that they, uh, we learned that the cast at all times not only do they have their bus, but they have a hotel room. Just usually, no one really sleeps there, but they go in there to shower or whatever. But James and Rebecca decide one night maybe they should actually use that to sleep, and we get maybe our first real, real, uh, and only hookup of the season. Maybe if they they question it. The other girls go to uh, the next morning to shower slash snoop and see what happened. They meet Rebecca in the parking lot. And there's a funny moment between all of them. But that episode in general, Love and Foosball, the highest rated episode of the season, the best episode of the season for sure. Which brings us to the two, the final two awards, the two that matter the most for sure, the biggest and the best. And that is first and foremost, the season MVP, the cast member that brought the most, that brought the most value, uh, that is truly the most value, not, you know, again, as we discussed when we did season three, and uh, we can discuss again here. For now, right now, there is an actual, like, winners and losers of the season, so it helps, certainly, to be a winner or to perform well, but where is the most valuable cast member? Maybe we should call it MVCM instead of MVP, but people know what MVP means. See, a little easier. But who's bringing the most value? Who would this season, if we t- removed them from the season, if we put a replacement cast member in their place and did that for every single person, who who are we losing the most with? Who could we not tell the story of the season without? Who is just, you know, bringing it the best? And let's run, let's run through some candidates here to wind our way to the winner. First, we got to quickly talk about Jamie Murray. We uh, referenced him earlier. Jamie Murray uh, goes on. This is the first of three straight seasons and titles for him. Not in a row seasons, but he's on three seasons of the challenge ever. He won all three times and is a very interesting person when talking about some of the best to ever do it. He is very clearly on this season. He's just this unbelievable athlete. He's all around good at everything. They commented on it a couple times throughout the season. They commented on it at the reunion specifically. And like uh, the teams are asked, who is your MVP in real, real world pretty quickly. He's like, you know, it's obviously Jamie. He's literally just good at everything. Like he's not, doesn't blow you away with anything. He's not like, oh, he's a, you know, he was a professional this. So of course he's really good at this, but he's just anything you ask him to do. He's just literally, he's like, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to be probably the best person here at that every, every single thing. And, but he also doesn't talk. Uh, he doesn't talk this entire season. And by he doesn't talk, his confessional count for the season is 23 confessionals across 17 episodes. And to put that in perspective, Susie, who is only in 11 episodes, has 24. And Ayana, who is only in six episodes, has 22. And the next closest is 39. So he just he doesn't talk. He's not featured much. He's just kind of there kicking ass in the challenges, and that's about it. Everyone likes him. Uh, seems like a great guy, but he's just kind of there in the background, kicking ass and taking names, and that's it. But 
So he has no chance of winning the MVP of the season, but at the same time, he is clearly maybe the most valuable as far as the actual missions and winning the money is considered of anyone on this season and seasons to come. So shout out to him. Also glad by the time the reunion rolled around, he saw that goatee that he was rocking on television, decided I'm going to go ahead and get rid of that. That was a good decision. Then Cyrus, Cyrus brought a lot of value this season. He really held it down. Um, a lot of great moments and uh, a great career to come from him. Not not quite in the running for the MVP this season, but deserves the shout out. Absolutely crushing it. Great confessionals from him. Competed well all season. Was clearly one of the ones when when the cast was having fun. He was a lot of times at the catalyst of it. So shout out to Cyrus. Then we got Ayana, who, as we said, you know, six episodes isn't enough to actually win an MVP when there's 17 episodes in the season, but. She was she was in the running. If we would have you know picked an, an MVP in the first six episodes before she got uh, sent home, she was in the running for it certainly. So shout out to her. Then Latarian makes a case, a little bit of a small case um, throughout the season. He you know has great moments of just showing what a great human being he is. We we know this more recently from seeing him on All Stars and you know everyone falling back in love with him, but. Guess what? Always has been, always seemingly will be just an amazing human being. He has a couple wonderful moments on this season. How he handles the very difficult situations, racial situations with Christian that are come up is nothing short of graceful and, you know, just a wonderful, wonderful person and human. And, uh, and he performs really well, but he doesn't, you know, he's kind of in and out of the stories here and there. He doesn't quite have enough to really mount a real case, but. Uh, he's a, we'll call him the third runner up, probably a fourth place, uh, on the ballots here. So he's making the ballots for sure. And then we get to our top three, the three that received the most, the most votes that were really battling for this MVP award of the season, the two runners up tied for runner up, first runner up, second runner up tied for first runner up. However you want to say it are Julie and James, Julie and James dominate this season from stories confessionals they have way more confessionals than everyone else by like a big 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 number let me pull it back up here julie is at 70 james is at 76 the next is in like the mid 50s so you know almost a a confessional more per episode than the next closest person on the list and all of there's no narration involved in that all all filling in story saying stuff talking shit whatever Julie early on is a multiple multiple episode MVP in the early going when she has a kind of a, a storyline saga that we could have actually put in the storylines of the season. She is kicked out of BYU for her participation on the real world and now the challenge for breaking code of conduct. And that's a big rift between her and her family. And we see some phone calls between her and one of the dean of students at BYU and her family and this, that, and the other. And she's really kind of coming out of her shell and learning how to live in a world that isn't the kind of very small communal family and church related world that she grew up in and lived most of her life in. So she's dominating a lot. She causes, you know, conflict between the two teams at times. She's hyped up at every one of the daily challenges. She's doing a whole, whole lot as is James who most of the season really runs through him uh, and through kind of him as the catalyst for a bunch of different things that are going on. You know, he has the main romance of the season, the only romance of the season and he's kind of the, the overly competitive one on road rules. He, he's kind of the 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 view for us, the viewer, to understand that the whole team is all bummed out that they keep losing over and over. James is kind of our example that's always given of it. Um, they both dominate the season in a lot of ways, but they are the runner-up because for me, 
the most valuable, uh, the most valuable cast member, the MVP of this season, the fourth ever MVP in the history of the challenge, has to, has to, has to go to Dan Renzi. Dan absolutely brings it this entire season. He is the one that, if I just cut it down to the base of, if you removed one person or replaced one person, which person being replaced does the show lose the most? Dan being replaced in the season, the show loses a lot because he is the one. He he's the romance between Julie or between James and Rebecca is mostly entertaining because of Dan winging wingmanning really hard for James and Rebecca the whole time. It's most of the the most interesting moments of that relationship story is when Dan is talking to one of them about the relationship or pushing the relationship on one of them. He's the catalyst of the moment of the year, the bubble blowing contest. He gives, he's the, the first ever confessional King. Uh, that could be a separate award. Maybe we'll just announce he's not only the MVP, he's the confessional King of the year and maybe make that an award going forward for any other season. He doesn't have the most confessionals, but he has by far the best ones. He's hilarious in all of them. He understands this is a television show. Certainly is one of the first to kind of clearly understand we're supposed to be having fun ourselves. We're also supposed to kind of make this fun for the people watching us have fun. And he does great in all the challenges. His team wins. So that's, you know, obviously helpful that, you know, picking a real world person seems right here for the MVP of this season. And he just, he just absolutely crushes it all the way through and gives us some of the best moments, you know, the and most of the, the best daily challenges, the best episodes he's heavily featured and heavily involved in. And so Dan Renzi, uh, congrats to you. Your fake trophy uh, will be delivered in the fake mail sometime soon, but you are fourth ever MVP of a season, this season, extreme challenge season number four. So that's all of those hardware to hand out. The final thing we've got to do then is grade the season. Our final grade, we've got to put it in the Pantheon. We've now added you know, moments and quotes and episodes and challenges and Dan as an MVP into the challenge annals of history, the challenge hall of fame, if you will. We're slowly but surely building it here at the challenge historian. And we got to, we got to slot every single one of these seasons into the pantheon of every season ever. So that when we're done with this years, year long project, probably in the end of reviewing every single season ever, we're going to be able to put them in order and talk about what tiers they all fall into, where they all are in the history of the show. So with this one, as we've done with the last few, we got there's four subgrades that add up kind of to an overall grade. We'll go through each one here quickly. The female cast. This is probably the worst female cast we've had of the first four seasons. We're grading it out at a C. It is exactly average. Um, there's some good things. Really enjoy Camila's uh, you know, contributions. Julie is definitely, you know, adding a lot to the show. Um, Amaya while, or, or Ayana, while there, was adding a lot. But Susie, who maybe goes on to have the, you know, the biggest career of anyone of any of any challenge career that is of any of these female cast members, is kind of not doing much in this inaugural season of hers, and we just don't really get a ton across the board uh, from the female side of the cast this season, which is in contrast to the last few seasons where it's been kind of opposite of this. So C on the female cast, the male cast, I'm going to go B plus. This is a very solid cast. Um, we get Cyrus. We got Jamie. We got Latarian. We got 
Dan, obviously, as the MVP of the season. We got James, obviously, is one of the kind of cruxes of the season, the main people of the season. We got everyone pretty much on the Christian, obviously, adding value. Everyone on the male side is bringing something to the table and coming to the forefront at one time or another in stories and in the episodes. So really, really great cast, a couple of which would go on to have pretty memorable runs on the challenge outside of just these memorable seasons. So B-plus for the male male cast. The sport grade, putting at a B. Um, Just because there's more doesn't mean it's all great. There's some really amazing stuff, and then there's some really not as not very good stuff so there's a high variance um as far as how the missions and daily challenges went um but some of it was amazing and definitely the physicality is up and i liked a lot of what we saw and a few big time highlights for sure like the foosball like the submarine challenge all that the dance off everything so sport grade we're giving it a b and a show grade a b minus because you know uh the having the biggest moment of the season and the kind of mo- the highest level, the most memorable thing be a really kind of negative bummer of a situation with Ayana getting sent home, you know, grades low on the ability of the show aspect of this. As always, we do sport and show kind of split the show in half of there's kind of the competition thing going on. And then there's kind of like the reality show going on and we get some really good stuff. It is in the, in the B category still means is, is good. It's, you know, well, well above average, but it's a B. It's at the lowest of that category, so it's a B minus, which leads to an overall grade for the season. It's an officially, it's going to be a C plus, uh, which puts it at the bottom of the list so far of the of the four seasons, tied with season one. Uh, a drop down from where season two and three had continued up. This is our first drop back down a little bit. It is teeming with potential. That is the thing. This season, if you did this season with the same cast, same time, same challenges over multiple times, I think this is one of the lowest grades it gets, is the lowest outcomes. Again, it's just kind of a bummer that the last four or five episodes, like no one seems to be all that happy or having much fun. There's, a, you know, the biggest moments of the entire season are kind of bummers as we've discussed at length. And a lot of the episodes do uh, for those that complain nowadays that we see too much of the daily challenges and not enough just like stuff happening in the house and you know whatever random shit the people are doing, this season is already in a little daily challenge heavy. Some a lot of the episodes are ninety percent just the mission or daily challenge, um, which is fine when they're super interesting and fun and there's multiple parts to them and it's like they're you know they're doing stuff for a day then they're having out at night then they actually do the challenge that it's great but you know teaming with potential. Um, a lot of really good moments and still again c plus does still put it on the positive side of the spectrum but just barely and so while it's still a season i enjoy i'm glad we revisited i will revisit again in the future it does come in at a c plus so that's that's where it is it's official it's in the annals for all of all eternity to come in the challenge hall of fame that is where it will be marked from here on out so that is Extreme Challenge Season 4. That is it for this podcast. Thankfully, because this was a 17-plus episode season, I don't have to be worried about the podcast that I just did being longer than the season itself, as I've had to worry about with the last few. So thank you so much for being here and listening to all this very long-winded recap of this still wonderful, even if lower-graded season of the challenge. Every one of these seasons is wonderful. There's maybe only one or two that we'll ever come across where... I wouldn't say that it was wonderful or I didn't thoroughly enjoy my time watching. I thoroughly enjoyed this season. I hope you thoroughly enjoyed reliving it along with me here on the pod and hopefully over on the Instagram page at Challenge Historian. Thank you so much, as always, for listening 
We will be posting more about this particular season throughout this week on if you're listening to this on Monday, when it drops throughout this week, we'll be posting a little bit more about this particular season. And then starting next weekend and into next week, we will drop our next episode next Monday. We will be back with season five battle of the seasons, a turning point and a transition point in the history of the challenge. A lot of fun stuff to talk about with that season. So that'll be coming out next Monday. Hit that follow subscribe button. So you don't miss when it is dropped. Head over to Challenge Historian on Instagram to get more and more content about these seasons. Thank you so much for being here. I look forward to talking to you next week. Until then, peace.